This episode may contain themes that are unsettling for some listeners and includes dialogue that is inappropriate for children under 14. Listener discretion is strongly advised. juicers i'm brooke and i'm Alyssa. and this is for god's sake don't drink the jones juice welcome back to episode 23 is it yeah okay i think i had no idea i think it's 23 i hope it's 23 one day we're actually gonna lose count and <laughs> whatever that's a good sign though yeah yeah i guess when we get like really high up there it'll just be another episode welcome to episode 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 (laughs) well we got some good stories for you guys today yeah i'm excited um this will probably be a pretty long episode it is going to be a long episode from what Alyssa and i have discussed mine's long hers is long hers is going to be like a multi-parter so yeah yeah buckle up gonna be a lot of information so get your craniums ready (laughs) um before we begin i kind of wanted to give a little shout out to a podcast that um they started following us on instagram like how long ago was it Maybe a couple of months ago. Yeah. They're a newer podcast as well. Yeah, I think they have about six episodes. Um, They're called These Are Not My Pants, Mm -hmm. Um, which me and Brooke were very confused about the name for the (laughs) longest time. We were like, what does that even mean? Because they're a true crime podcast. Mm -hmm. And it's a husband and wife. Yes, named Michelle and Matthew. Yeah. Um, Do you want to explain what that means? So I don't remember what episode I heard this on. Alyssa and I were kind of backtracking trying to figure out where I heard this and I hope to God I'm not making this up in my mind Um, but I remember hearing and I want to say it was Michelle talking about where they got their name for their podcast and I just think this is genius so basically it was something along the lines so their name is podcast not my pants right or these are not my pants these are not my pants these aren't podcasts these are not my pants and basically what gave them the idea for their name is like if you're ever watching like cops or like you know any of those shows where they uh, arrest people she said something along the lines of like you know when they're searching somebody for drugs and they're giving them the pat down and they're like oh well you know i just found cocaine in your pocket you know the dude's always like these are not my pants (laughs) (laughs) i just thought that was super cute and witty and uh wanted to we wanted to give them a shout out because they're cool folks yeah they've um they've shouted us out a few times on social media so yeah um, check them out yes me and brooke just listened to their episode about the watcher house Mm -hmm. um i think the cool thing about them is that they're their episode episodes episodes (laughs) their episodes are they're pretty they're like you know about 30 minutes averaging about 30 minutes which Mm -hmm. is like the perfect kind for like you know short road trips yeah just like you know like if you're to work not going to be in the car for that long because i know some of ours like dinner you probably have to like pause them and (laughs) listen to it for three days (laughs) (laughs) so uh, i think it's just a good podcast to listen to if you're just in need of some quick true crime Mm -hmm. um they're also pretty witty and just funny people and they both have really nice voices they do have yeah their voices are nice to listen to they're not 
they don't have aggravating voices like me <laughs> or no like country twang to them no i'm not sure where they're from i think they said colorado in okay. one of their episodes that would make sense then their their accents are very neutral i'd say yeah they are very neutral yeah so. you can't really like identify where they would be mm-hmm. in the united states so or yeah. around the world in general but check them out they're they're pretty funny okay so um one thing i did want to mention um so zen expression um you know she did some shirts for us the tie-dyed shirts and we had several of you guys um buy them i still have three shirts at the shop for pickup um i know one was brie one was cameron and i want to say the other one belongs to bailey but i could be wrong on that anyway you know if you ordered a shirt and they are at the shop so please come pick them up yeah you guys paid like 30 dollars for those (laughs) shirts come get them they're literally just chilling on the desk up front so come get them sometime um they got your name on them actually i will not be at the shop except for wednesday this uh coming week so um i'm going on vacation for my four-year anniversary trip um so i'll be there wednesday but either way they'll still be there so get them must be nice to be able to go on vacation Huh. <laughs> I'm excited. I, I, it's very much needed. Uh, we're going up to North Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have I showed you the pictures of the cabin? It's so cool. It's like like really secluded cabin. It's got like a hundred steps, like this big long Excuse like staircase down to like a river. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's not like to no. the cabin. No, 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 no. I would die. So yeah, it's just going to be nice and relaxing and just quiet, and you know, we get one on one time and just get away from the world for a few days so that I'm sounds excited. nice hopefully we'll be back in order um, you know in time to record sunday evening and get you guys your monday episode um yeah you may get it late but it'll still be there you'll get it eventually is there anything else i don't believe so i think we're ready to get this a long ass show on the road okay yeah so we'll 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 cut the chit chat because it it's mm-hmm. a lot of information <laughs> Okay, so um, as you guys can probably tell from the title that this episode will be, um, I am covering Scientology. Which I had no idea I was so interested in until Alyssa and I kind of talked about this earlier. And I'm like, what? Whoa. Because when I think of Scientology, the only thing that comes to mind is Leah Remini and Tom Cruise. And like, they're weird. That's all. Like, I don't know anything else about it. You know and what I mean? They're weird. They're weird. So, yeah, I'm super, super excited to learn some more about this. Yeah, I thought it was like a mostly alien based, like, religion, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's more about, like, you as a spirit. Self. And, like, self. Uh, I don't know. Like, more of a spiritual type. Yeah. Um, which. Okay, so you're going to learn that Scientology is a scam. If you are thinking about joining Scientology... First of all, you must be rich as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Don't do it. Do not join Scientology. I'm telling you right now, do not do it. If you need further proof, um, watch Leah Remini and Mike Rinder's um, docuseries. It's on Netflix. It's called Leah Remini and... Or what is it? Uh... Leah Leah Remini's Scientology in the Aftermath. It's very detailed. It's very good. They give you document proof about Scientology policies. Um, Mike Rinder was um, 
head of um it's something i'll explain it later on in this episode but he was head of this thing called osa and um he knows all about the terrible things that scientology does to keep its members and to keep like this veneer that they are just such a great religion that's helping all of mankind but Mm -hmm. they're not they are a very just detrimental horrible horrible fucking cult they're a cult is Mm -hmm. what it is it is not a religion um there are people who have um so in scientology your main goal is to be in the clear to be cleared and when you get to that point um you're able to get rid of like unwanted behaviors patterns discomforts whatever in your life and it's supposed to be like you know the ultimate enlightenment and people who have reached this level have always said no it's not what happens it's not what they make it out to be you're pretty much the fucking same yeah so if you know a scientologist um i don't know don't believe them i guess i I don't know anybody like that we know that would know a scientologist because again you have to be rich as fuck well a lot of people who have joined scientology are not rich what they do is you can join this thing called the sea org and basically they kind of like quote unquote take care of your expenses and you devote you know you're you sign a billion dollar a billion dollar a billion year contract billion year a billion year (laughs) contract to be in the sea org and you're devoting your entire life like every second of your life to scientology and um um so they like pay for it or whatever okay but then they also um so if you are not rich as fuck and you cannot afford like the thirty thousand dollars it takes to sign up they will literally apply you to every credit card that they can that you can get and then take the money that way whoa (coughs) excuse me whoa they will do that they you're, they do not have your best interests at heart. They're going to get their money one way or another. Yes, they have Scientology's best interests at heart. Hmm. So I genuinely had no idea about all the shit that goes on with Scientology until I started watching that docuseries. Um, Leah and Mike also have a podcast called um, Scientology Fair Game. Hmm. Um, and I got a, a lot of my information from that podcast it was like episode five i think it was um it's very very interesting like i'm literally listening to it all the time like i have switched from true crime to scientology because it have how insane it is wow like and like the media just doesn't really talk about it Mm -mm. you know like i okay so when i was in high school i had a teacher who was a scientist well I, i didn't have him but he was a scientologist wow and I don't know anything about him. I know, like, every fucking girl at the school was, like, in love with him because he was attractive. But to me, if you believed in Scientology, you were probably a wackadoo. Right. So I was just like, eh. But um, there, people, he's known for that, hmm. being a Scientologist. So Wow. Yeah. But anyways, um, so, okay, I'm going to kind of tell you, like, what Scientology is. Yeah, I need this. I, I need to know. Okay, so the core belief of Scientology is that every human is an immortal. 
Oh. An immortal spiritual being that takes residence in a physical body. Okay. So, the spiritual being in in Scientology is referred to as a thetan. I, like, uh, looked up how to say that, but I've forgotten it since then. It's like a thetan or a thetan. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, it is said to have lived past lives as far back as before, like this, you know, your spirit had arrived on earth. Um, and before earth, you know, your spirit was said to have lived in like extraterrestrial cultures. Um, and with enough auditing, quote unquote, the pattern will eventually repeat itself. And so we're going to talk about auditing, auditing in a different episode, um, but basically, it's like Scientology's version of therapy, okay. but it's extremely harmful. Okay. So just remember that, I guess. So Scientology is the study and handling of the spirit functioning with itself, others, and all of life. It's widely believed that every person has an innate but suppressed set of abilities that can be regained or remembered once they are quote unquote cleared. And we'll talk more about being cleared later on. Um, so once they are cleared of unwanted behavior, patterns, and discomforts, like I said earlier, um, I do want to mention also that in Scientology, because you have this like innate but suppressed set of abilities, the creator of Scientology, um, L. Ron Hubbard, he believed that like everything you can do in this world, like you've done in a past life and so it's your job to remember how to do those things Mm -hmm. like everybody is an expert at everything like whether you know it's plumbing or you know carpentry or so he believes everybody has done everything in a past life yeah oh okay and it's your job to remember it so that you can do your job better wouldn't that be nice though if we just knew how to do everything right (laughs) (laughs) and like there were literally people talking about how um when they're building scientology buildings they have no experience in building a building or doing electrical work but Mm -hmm. they were made to do it one guy lost his fucking eye and they didn't know how to do anything and so everything was like really unsafe yeah you know, nobody remembered how to do anything because guess what? You've never done it before. But you have. <laughs> According to Hubbard, yes, you have. Wow. Well, I hope he's just a master of everything. That's all I've got to say. Okay, so we'll talk more about that in a minute because it's so stupid. So Scientology is a religion to help people use scientific approaches to self-actualize their full potential. Scientologists believe that they can reach their full potential when they understand themselves in their true relationship to the physical universe and the supreme being. Hmm. Scientology's top three fundamental truths are man is an immortal spiritual being. His experience extends well beyond a single lifetime. His capabilities are unlimited, even if not presently realized. Okay. Um, so now we're just going to kind of talk about the Thetans or the spiritual being or whatever. Okay. So there are supposedly two entities that are housed by the human body. One being a genetic entity that is supposed to carry on the like evolutionary line. Mm-hmm. And the other being the, 
the thetan or whatever, which is basically like your consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has the capa- capacity to separate from the body and mind. This is all according to L. Ron Hubbard's book called The History of Man, which was published in 1952. He states, in man's long evolutionary development, the thetan has been trapped by the engrams, and engrams are what he refers to as memories. Okay. Um, formed at various stages of embodiment. Scientology training is designed to... Um, Wait, I fucked that up. Okay, so Scientology training is designed to clear the person of all engrams, which creates an operating thetan. Ooh. And operating thetan, thetan, I don't remember what it was. Um, you know what? I'm going to look it up. But an operating thetan is described as among the abilities of the operating thetan is the soul's capacity to leave and operate apart from the body. Okay. So whatever that means, I honestly genuinely <laughs> don't really know. So um, you're Googling right now? Yeah. I can sing some elevator music. Okay. Dun, 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 I heard it. Dun, dun. Satan. Satan. Sounds okay. like Satan. Satan. <laughs> so it's a Satan. Satan. I was saying Satan. <laughs> Whatever. A Satan. Okay. So now we're going to talk a little bit about L. Ron Hubbard, who was the creator of the theory of Dianetics and Scientology. So Hubbard was born in 1911 in Tilden, Nebraska. His mother was a teacher and his father was in the military. When Hubbard turned two, his family moved from Nebraska to Montana. I do want to say that I got... Hubbard's life story from biographics.org. So, um, one thing that is confusing about Hubbard is like nobody really knows what's true and what's real that yeah. he's talked about his life. Um, like he said that when he, they had moved from Nebraska to Montana, that he lived on a ranch, but it's been debunked by his family that he lived in a townhouse, so I don't really know why he would lie about that, but yeah, he did. Um, another unknown fact about Hubbard is whether or not he traveled outside of the country with his father, who was in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, there are claims that he has been to like China, Guam, and Japan, but it's unclear whether this is true or not. Like People just don't fucking know. Yeah. And a lot of people think that it's like to add to the illusion of his spiritual awakenedness yeah. or whatever. Because, um, you know, that's kind of what he uses to develop Scientology. Yeah. So, we don't really know. Um, the Hubbard family lived in Washington State for a brief time, and Hubbard went to school like on the East Coast. But then he returned to Montana to finish high school while living with his grandparents while his parents were overseas. After graduating high school, Hubbard moved and attended George Washington University, where he studied engineering. He ultimately dropped out because his grades were failing. This is when Hubbard started writing science fiction and horror stories in order to earn a living, but he wasn't making a lot of money, mm-hmm. and he had to write a lot to be able to like sustain himself and like live. Mm-hmm. He once said, you don't get rich writing science fiction. If you want to get rich, you start a religion. Mm. So... <clears throat> Okay, so due to, like, how much Hubbard had to write in order to live, 
He literally holds the Guinness World Record for the most translated and published, or for being the most, for the most translated and published author in the world. Holy That's what shit. It is. Yeah. Hubbard's writing started to garner attention, and he even wrote the script for the movie The Secret of Treasure Island. Wow. In the year 2000, Hubbard's novel Battlefield Earth was made into a movie, and this movie starred a devout and famous Scientologist. Do you know who it is? Tom Cruise. John Travolta. Ah. So, unfortunately, World War II broke out, and Hubbard joined the Navy Reserve in 1941 and was made lieutenant by the the recommendation of his congressman. Just like with the embellishment of the townhouse, you know, saying that it was a ranch Mm -hmm. and that he took trips around the world, Hubbard's military stories have also been greatly exaggerated to benefit Scientology. There are stories of his heroism and how he received 21 medals for his actions during war that included injuries that left him blind and, in his words, crippled. Mm. Official military records show that he never even left the U.S. during the war, and he wasn't a hero by far. (sighs) In fact, he lost the command of his ship after numerous mishaps. One of these mishaps being that he had his crew fire at a submarine. But the submarine wasn't a submarine at all. It was a fucking log floating in the water. Are you shitting me? So... Oh, what a guy. <laughs> what a guy. Oh. So, although Hubbard lost command of his ship, he was still allowed to stay in the Navy on inactive duty. In 1950, he officially resigned and left the military. He moved to Los Angeles in 1945, um, and he had been married to a lady since 1933. But his wife refused to move their family from Washington to live in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And according to Hubbard, she eventually divorced him because he was, and again in his words, a cripple. And (sighs) he literally uses that all throughout this. And you'll understand why he is so harsh about it later. Well, I mean, saying that word probably back then was more of a more common thing to say. Yeah. But it just sounds more... Like, he's using it to his benefit for Scientology. So, in Los Angeles is where Hubbard met Alistair Crawley, who was a famous practitioner of magic, and he was leading a supposed cult called Ordo Templi Orentis. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. I don't even know if that's really how it's pronounced, but... Um, Hubbard joined them and found an outlet for his interest in sci-fi and the occult. So then, Hubbard moved in with two members of that cult. Jack Parsons, who was a scientist, and his girlfriend, Sarah Northrup. And the three became really good friends. Hubbard started sleeping with Sarah, who was Jack's wife, girlfriend, and Jack didn't mind. Like, he was oh, like... cool. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm fine with this. You know, half at it. Go uh, do your thing. Is that a big thing in Scientology? Like, polygamy and... Not that I know. I don't okay. think so. Hmm. Another woman by the name of Marjorie Cameron joined the group, and Jack started sleeping with her. Damn. 
These sexual escapades weren't just for fun. Their end goal was to impregnate Marjorie with the spawn of Satan. Oh my god. <laughs> and this was going to be done by Jack and Marjorie having sex while Hubbard watched. What? Somehow that was going to create the spawn of Satan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Some, somehow. Okay. Well. And so as, you know, obvious to everybody listening, um, this did not produce the spawn of Satan. Did they have children? Mm, I don't know. But it did create a bond between Hubbard and Sarah. Hmm. And so they got married in 1946. But Hubbard was still technically married to his first wife. Hmm. He stayed married to her for an entire year. And the divorce papers included accusations of systematic torture, beatings, strangulations, and scientific torture experiments by the hands of Hubbard on his wife. Eek. Yeah. After the divorce, Hubbard and Sarah moved to Laguna Beach, then to Georgia, and then finally settling into New Jersey. This is where he began his work creating Scientology. But really, it started out with, like, this thing called Dianetics. And we'll kind of talk about Dianetics, so... Um, in May... 9th, 1950, Scientology was introduced to the world through the publications of Dianetics, the Modern Science of Mental Health. So it was really at first called Dianetics. Okay. After only a few months, the books were selling in the thousands every week and was eventually translated into many different languages. Dianetics teach that memories, that engrams, are the reason why people have um, psychological pain and health problems. Hmm. Hubbard described how people can release their engrams and work towards becoming clear, which is the word used to describe being cured of all the ills caused by engrams. See, this is crazy to me because I had no idea that Scientology was that old. I thought it was some, like, I don't know, maybe 20-year-old cuckoo religion. I mean, even still, like... This is still fairly new, but I just... Yeah. I mean, in the 50s? Yeah. It's pretty new. Yeah. yeah. Um, where was I at? Okay. Um, he even claimed that he was able to heal his war injuries through the use of Dianetics. Cool. So, <laughs> but really, he was in very poor health. Mm. So, lie. Lie, 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 lie. <laughs> The scientific world wasn't convinced of Hubbard's theory of Dianetics, which, uh, uh, duh. Right. As more and more people bought into the theory, scientists and medical professionals started to speak out against it. Because, I mean, that's very harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, the American Psychological Association and Scientific America both dismissed Dianetics and said that Hubbard's ideas were not based in fact and had nothing but baseless claims. Mm. Even so, the teachings of Dianetics continued to spread. In the 1950s, Hubbard spent a lot of time touring the country to give lectures on Dianetics and conducting seminars. Dianetics groups started popping up in different large cities, and people started sending money to the group so that they could become clear, or inquiring how they could help others become clear by becoming a Dianetics auditor. 
I'm going to have a whole episode on auditing, so I'm not really going to go too much into detail about that because I'm going to have a whole episode about it. So, Again, this is going to be a multi-parter, guys. Like a lot because there's a lot to cover. That's incredible to me because I had no idea. I know. So during all of Hubbard's traveling, he couldn't keep his marriage or his finances together. Mm -hmm. And then he started having an affair with his public relations assistant. No way. And uh, Dianetics Foundation started to flounder. Mm. After a couple of years of... After the release of his books, Hubbard was divorced for the second time, and Dianetics seemed as if it was slowly simmering off. So it was kind of, the public was kind of losing interest in it. Yeah. Uh, Hubbard was able to launch Hubbard College in Kansas. This is also where he met his third wife, and the two moved to Phoenix, Arizona. During this time of his life, Hubbard started to try and put his theory of Dianetics into a larger spiritual and um, philosophical frame in the form of what we know today, Scientology. Okay. The Church of Scientology officially launched in 1954. According to the church's website, Scientology has the answer for nearly any question a human could ever want to know. And the quote on their website is, Contained therein are answers to life's most profound mysteries, the enigma of existence, the riddle of death, the realization of states um, not even described in earlier literature. Also from these works come Scientology and technologies for rear children, repair families, educate, organize, and provide relief in times of illness and suffering. So that's literally like on their website. So, this is where it gets funny, because, you know, I was just saying that L. Ron Hubbard said that um, he healed his war injuries Injuries. Mm -hmm. because of Dianetics, Mm -hmm. and that when you reach that certain, like, stage in the bridge that you climb, I guess, to get to your enlightenment, I don't really, I really just, it's very confusing. Mm -hmm. So, he died in January on January 24th, 1986 from like a stroke or something. Mm -hmm. But he was literally able to convince his followers that he like willingly like let go of his body. (sighs) And he even told them that he was coming back in like 20 something years or something. But, you know, it's been well (laughs) over 20 years and he's still not back. (laughs) Then people genuinely believe that he's coming back. Oh, wow. Like a whole lot of brainwashing going on. A lot. A lot. And guys, I also want to say yes, this all sounds very cuckoo. It sounds banana ham sandwich crazy. Like, it just sounds like you would never fall for that. You're like, I would never. If I heard that shit, I would be like, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. But you have to realize that these people are not crazy. Mm-hmm. They're very smart. They are. A lot of people, a lot of these followers were born into Scientology, mm-hmm. where a lot of them are like, they're looking for something to believe in, something to give them purpose. And, you know, from the outside looking in, if you weren't listening to this podcast about it, if you didn't watch the aftermath, or if you weren't, you know, listening to other podcasts about the dangers of Scientology, it would probably seem pretty good. Like, wow, you can reach this 
super high level of enlightenment mm-hmm. and you can you know potentially heal yourself and like there are other ways to do that guys it's not weird i mean like some people think that being a christian is insane like you mm-hmm. believe in a sky god and mm-hmm. you know that can heal you and you know he walked on water and blah blah that sounds insane to somebody who doesn't believe in it i think if you're going to enter some kind of quote-unquote cult like this you should do your damn research and if you are that bound and determined to find this enlightenment and better yourself there are much better ways to go about that guys i'm a very spiritual person and i'm constantly trying to better myself and learn more about spirituality and you know leveling up and you know you don't have to join a cult (laughs) <laughs> well, they don't, people don't think it's a cult. Yeah. It's registered as a religion. Right. They have tax exempt status because they are technically a religion. a religion. But even, it goes even beyond that because it's not just like, I'm joining this to be the all enlightened. Mm-hmm. Scientology proclaims to be very, like, we are saving mankind. Mm-hmm. We are the only group that is saving mankind right and they give these seminars and these whatever they are and they have all these facts that they're feeding you and you know they're saying you know we've dropped you know all these drug percentages by you know this astronomical percent Mm -hmm. that's like unheard of and Mm -hmm. you know we're the fastest growing religion and we're this and we're that and we are you know helping the community we're helping other countries we're doing this we're doing that and so these people are like holy shit like that's super appealing like i am helping the world by being a scientologist when really scientology has been very damaging to a lot of families to a lot of individuals to a lot of companies they're just it's insane you know truly though i think you could say that about a lot of religions you know i would agree with you mm-hmm. except this is a whole nother level I this think. is like any religion can tear apart can yeah, yeah. tear apart um families families and- yeah um in scientology there's this thing called um like where you disconnect Mm -hmm. and you disconnect from like Scientologists will disconnect from their families. If their families are considered, considered, um, suppressive people Mm -hmm. and a suppressive person is somebody who is going against Scientology or Mm -hmm. even inquiring about Scientology, like Mm -hmm. not being real or like it being a scam or even if you're just kind of questioning whether or not you still want even just be there, you can become a suppressive person and you like Scientologists have to disconnect from anybody in their family who's not a Scientologist. So if, or from suppressive people. Mm -hmm. So if like your mom is declared a suppressive person, you have to disconnect from her Mm -hmm. or you will also become a suppressive person. Which is like what you do not want to become in that community. Right. It's like, like the ultimate like suppressive people are viewed as like criminals anybody who is against scientology is a criminal so we are criminals and they could be coming after us yes (laughs) watch your ass Alyssa. literally because the topic we're talking about today is their policy called fair game 
And this is the this is all that Leah Remini and Mike Grinner's podcast is about is fair game. So if I'm only gonna tell one story from the podcast and this one was like holy fucking shit to me. Okay. It was insane to me. So if you want to know more about this, and they can give you a lot more information than I can because they were both Scientologists for decades. Yeah. They know exactly how they work and Yeah, and how they can go about you know, destroying you. Because mm-hmm. that is what Scientology does. If you are declared a suppressive person, they will go after you, no expense, like whatever. Like they pay the evil people. They are. They're insane. So, okay. So, when you were considered, like, fair game to Scientology, they will literally do anything in their power to Mm -hmm. destroy you. They will hire private investigators to follow you around and take pictures of you. They will have private investigators literally steal your trash and go through it to try and find anything that they can have leverage over you with. Ugh. So, like, if you were throwing away, like, you know, alcohol bottles, yeah. they would, like, collect them and be like, well... They're an alcoholic. Brooke is an alcoholic. That's why you shouldn't trust anything uh-huh. she says about Scientology because uh-huh. she probably... She's in debt, so she, you know... Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, like, if you threw away, like, a... Like a magazine with porn in it, or mm-hmm. something like that. They they're like, a porn addict. They're a porn addict, and you know they don't respect women, and That's blah blah insane, blah blah. Dude. They will take anything that you have and just twist it to mm-hmm. make it seem, yeah, like worse than it is. Any angle they can possibly find, you know, to make you seem like a bad person. They're, yes, ew. they're also very known for making hate websites about about you. Yeah. Oh, damn. They will literally have a whole fucking website dedicated to, like, just... Trashing you. Trashing you, yeah. That is insane. And so, like, Scientology is here, supposedly, to help all of mankind. But once you don't agree with Scientology, which is a lot of people... Yeah. They make a hate website about you? Yeah, that's cute. Tell me how that makes sense. How are you saving mankind if you are literally trashing other people of mankind? Sounds like a bunch of bullies. They are bullies. Mm-hmm. They're very rich bullies. Mm-hmm. They will also turn your family against you. So. <laughs> okay. So the um, the case I'm going to talk about regarding Fair Game is that of Paulette Cooper. Do you know who that is? No idea. So she's a journalist. Um, And she published a book called The Scandal of Scientology in 1971. Okay. And so, you know, back then, like, there wasn't, like, internet, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So. It was books and articles and newspapers. And so that's how people got their information. Yeah. And so there wasn't really a lot of coverage about Scientology back then. Well, you couldn't get as much info as you can now. Right. Now everything's at the touch of your fingers and, you know, bam. And back then there was like over a hundred thousand Scientologists, mm-hmm. but um, I'm pretty sure in the podcast uh, Paulette says that um, it's like down to like twenty thousand or something like that. So yeah, that's a very small group to be ruining, you know, caring so much about somebody that's against them that they're willing to ruin somebody's life. Right. Ugh. So this book, The Scandal of Scientology, which you can read for free mm-hmm. at Paulette Cooper. 
I think she said .com or .org. I can't remember which one it is. I will find that and I will link it like on our Facebook or in the in the show notes um, so that you can read it. You can read it for free. Okay. She has made it for free so that everybody knows That's what Scientology nice. is. And I am going to read it because. That's pretty cool that she's not trying to profit off of it. She's really just trying to give you warning. Right. Yeah. You know? I mean, because like what they did to her, what you're about to see, it's insane, dude. Ugh. Like, I'm a little worried about fucking <laughs> publishing this because of what all they did to her. Mm. So, Paulette Cooper was a Jewish woman born in Belgium during the Holocaust. And right after she was born, her mother was taken to Auschwitz and killed. And then soon following that, her father was as well. Uh, Paula and her sister were supposed to be taken there and killed as well, but they were saved. And she kind of goes into it on the podcast, but I'm just going to skip over it. Mm -hmm. She was eventually adopted by the Cooper family and became an American citizen. Paulette got a master's degree in psychology and she studied comparative religion. So obviously she was already kind of interested in this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, She moved to New York upon graduating and around this time in 1968, Scientology was very popular with over 100,000 members. She ended up dating a man who became interested in Scientology and he told her that through Scientology, he learned that he was Jesus Christ in a past life. So she was kind of like, this, hmm, <laughs> this is very odd. Yeah. Maybe I should look into what Scientology is because my boyfriend just came home and said that he he was once Jesus Christ in a past life. So. Yeah. So that's kind of like what sparked her interest. Sounds legit. <laughs> well, could you imagine just Aaron coming home one day and being like, Babe, I just discovered I was Jesus Christ in a past life. And being 100% serious, I would laugh in his face. <laughs> I would be like, excuse me? How do you, you okay? Know we need to check you in somewhere? You all right, hon? <laughs> Literally. So, <laughs> she wrote an article that appeared in England, like about Scientology. Mm-hmm. And after this, she began getting death threats from... Scientologists. Mm, Such good people. So, in return, she did more research because she's like, holy shit, I just posted this article and these nice religious people are sending me death threats. Yeah. So, that's odd, right? Right. Like, if you were to go to, like, a church and be like, hmm, I don't really believe in in these... um, this is a little sketch. Um, I don't really like it. Like I'm t- like a Christian church yeah. or like a honestly I feel like this doesn't really happen that often with other religions. <laughs> right. Like you, they don't make they would just be like, "Oh, I'm sorry you don't agree with us." And then they would probably move, move on. Along. Yeah. There might be a couple of, you know, members of the congregation who are like, you know, fucked up bitch. <laughs> but like for the most part, they're just going to keep doing what right. they do and yeah. They're going to keep spreading the good news and not really bother with you because like yeah that's not what they feel like they're supposed to be doing yeah but scientology is different they feel like they have to protect it at all costs and that's why like like just being so insane to people that it like makes them want to be silent like they're trying to like force you into submission by being super cruel to you Mm -hmm. and that is so fucked up like if you like if you are a scientologist and 
like Mike Render. That's that was his job. Mm-hmm. Um, to attack people. To attack. Yeah, he was like the head of that organization. Wow. And he's like, you know, like you would think that being cruel like that, you would be like, there's something wrong here. Like I should not be being cruel to people. But he's like, you know, you're so brainwashed. Mm-hmm. Like you were so brainwashed that it doesn't seem like a wrong thing to you. It's just what you do. It's like this has to be done in order to save Scientology. Yeah. And Scientology is the savior of mankind. It's the so whole I entire foundation it. of your life. Exactly. Like if if you're a Christian and God came down to you one day and was like, Hey, um, Brooke is like speaking out against me. Like I need you to go, you know, harass her until she shuts the fuck up you would and if you were a devout christian you'd probably be like you know what god mm-hmm. all right you said so so i'm gonna do it <laughs> and so that's what these scientologists were doing and then of course there are a lot of them who kind of started questioning it and they're like you know this doesn't feel right yeah and so they left the church and now they're being fair gamed as well Mike hmm. Rinder, oh my gosh, guys, please watch The Aftermath. Please listen to um, their podcast, um, Free Game, or Fair Game, my bad, because Mike Rinder's story is honestly very sad, and it's very, like, he talks about, and this is, I'm going to have a whole other episode about this, too, but there's a lot of physical abuse that goes on. When L. Ron Hubbard died, um... It was taken over by, um, oh my God. Okay. It's either Dave Miscavige or David Miscavige. Mr. Miscavige. It's David Miscavige. Miscavige. Yeah. So he is like the head of Scientology now. Mm -hmm. And he's a very abusive just piece of shit, pretty Mm -hmm. much. He is a horrible man. There's a lot of just horrible things that go on regarding David Miscavige in Scientology. And so Mike tells his story about it, and it's so sad. And because, like, he's talking about this abuse that's happening to him, but he felt like he deserved it because he wasn't, you know, providing his full potential for Scientology. It's, like, it's so sad. Please listen to the podcast. Watch the Mm -hmm. docuseries. It's very entertaining, honestly. It's very, like, holy shit, constantly, like, something happens, and you're like, can this get any worse? Uh, And then it does. It always gets worse. I've got to check it out. So, um, you know, her doing more of this research, Paulette Cooper, um, she acquired so much information that she just decided to write her book, The Scandal of Scientology. Mm Mm-hmm. And so this is when, you know, she became fair game to Scientologists. Aww. She became their, like, number one enemy, pretty yeah. much. She's their prey. Right. So Paulette mentions in um, the podcast, Scientology Fair Game, that she notified the police about the death threats she was receiving from Scientologists. But around this time, people weren't really familiar with cults. It wasn't until Jonestown mm-hmm. that people like didn't really know what a cult was. Wow, you know, and Jonestown happened after all this shit with her. Okay. 
She was, um, you know, receiving death threats. Her phone had been hacked. They were putting her name and phone number up in bathroom stalls in the city so that men would call her saying obscene and, like, perverted, nasty things. Holy shit. Just, like, so she could not have any peace, you know? (sighs) Just stalking her life. They were doing what was what is called noisy investigation, which is where they intimidate you so that you stay quiet, mm-hmm. pretty much, which mm-hmm. can include having the PAs follow you around in such an obvious way that you know it's happening. That is terrifying. And, like, there's nothing the police can do about it. I, I don't believe that. That's nuts. I don't know. But they're hoping that it'll scare you into submission. Yeah. So fair game and noisy investigation are both terms actually used in Scientology like in their own personal documents mm-hmm. it's not a phrase that are coined by anti-scientologists that um, just hate Scientology so much yeah. that they just came up with these names it's literally in their papers Yeah, it's in their documents Yeah, they these are their terms mm-hmm. and this is you know again what Leah Rimini and Mike Rinder say so in the podcast um Uh, Paulette goes on to talk about how one time she had gotten a delivery of flowers at her house. Mm -hmm. Like a man came to the door with. And he was a freaking. Okay. So (laughs) he came to the door with flowers. And there's arsenic in the flowers. (laughs) (laughs) So she was at home and her roommate, which was her cousin at the time, was um, she was at home. So she answered the door and Paulette said that. um, Oh, no, my battery is running low. I'm going to pause it for just a second. Okay, so I don't remember where I was at, but so basically, Paulette wasn't at her house. The mm-hmm. flower delivery guy came to her house. Her cousin answered the door. The man unwraps the flowers to expose a gun. What? He puts a gun up to her cousin's head, and she said she doesn't know if he, if it misfired or if there wasn't <sighs> anything in the gun. But, but he pulled the trigger. Yeah, and she didn't get shot. So, obviously, she starts screaming her head off, and, you know, neighbors, you know, like, this is an apartment building, so, mm-hmm. like, the neighbors, like, open up the doors, and they, like, see this man, and he just takes off running, and they never caught him. Mm-hmm. And so, at this point, like, she's very fearful for her life. Wow. Like, there was just, um, like, a attempt, attempted murder yeah. on what they thought was Paulette, but she said her cousin looked very much like her, so, yeah. you know, he probably could have thought that it was her, mm-hmm. or it could have been, like, a scare tactic, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. So, in the podcast, Mike Runder talks about, in Scientology, there is this thing called R245, And this is the name that Hubbard gave, saying that it's a Scientology process in which will result in instant exteriorization. Mm -hmm. So in Hubbard's words, this means the spirit departing from the body and operating outside of the body. In other words, this means death. So in Scientology, R245 is a shorthand verbiage for shooting someone in the head jesus christ Alyssa, why are you covering this because <laughs> <laughs> people need to fucking know yeah there you got a lot of you guys are local there's literally a scientology building in atlanta i've seen a picture of it it's fucking there it's vacant i'm sure there's probably yeah. only one or two people inside 
that's a whole nother episode, a whole nother thing we're going to talk about. When but we go visit it. <laughs> we're going to take some pictures and they're no. going to be taking pictures of us. <laughs> They'll start following. Like in the documentary, in the aftermath, like they are, like they would go to, so like the headquarters for Scientology is in Clearwater, Florida. Mm-hmm. And they're literally trying to take over Clearwater, Florida. And there are so many Scientology buildings down there that are just fucking vacant. That is like there's so nobody, weird. It's like a ghost town. It's yeah. so weird. But um, these people, like the Scientologists, literally will like follow them around. They'll have PIs. Like they they constantly have somebody following them. They've had people waiting for them in their hotel room after returning home from like visiting somebody in Clearwater mm-hmm. for the documentary. It's crazy. I just looked at the Church of Scientology in Atlanta. That's a beautiful building. It's huge, and for nothing, wow. they don't do anything with it. And so literally, that's like gorgeous. I mean, they've got to be like operating like an office or out of office or something out of there, right? Probably not. That's I mean, nuts. There might be like a couple of people in there who are like help you sign up for Scientology, but they don't use their buildings for what their intended uh, purpose is for. That is a gorgeous. Yeah. Do you want me to keep talking or? Yeah, go for it. Okay. I'm, I'm just looking at these pictures. They had it like a grand opening and there's like a lot of fucking people out there. Yeah. In the documentary, the docuseries, they talk about how they literally fly in like every fucking Scientologist to make it seem like a big deal, but oh. it's really not. Well, there are more in Georgia Scientology churches, apparently. Well, there's I ones. know they have like over 150. So, I mean, I'm sure there's multiple in Holy multiple states. Cow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, Paulette immediately moves to a different building because, you know. Yeah. And this building had a doorman. So, she felt like, you know, this was a safer place to live. Mm -hmm. So, pretty immediately, all of the tenants in the new building received, like, an anonymous letter. Oh, God. Stating that Paulette had moved into the building and she was a part-time prostitute with venereal disease and that she had molested a two-year-old baby girl oh my god yep um and i just want to go ahead and say that you know like i mentioned earlier in scientology i don't did i mention this on the podcast i know i was telling you earlier but they view children and adults as equals you did not mention it on here but you did tell me so in scientology your spirit mm-hmm. inside of a physical body mm-hmm. and your spirit is like the same ageless. yeah it's like ageless so like though you may be in a child's body at one point your spirit's not a child mm-hmm. so they don't view children as children they view them as equals to adults mm-hmm. and so for them to be like hey she molested a two-year-old baby girl well they know that's not the norm right so like they're basically using like the outside world's view on things Mm -hmm. to make her sound bad Mm -hmm. instead of like you know well that just goes to tell you they know they're wrong yeah you know yeah so almost immediately after she moved she was also visited by two FBI agents and she was called before a grand jury 
Scientology accused Paulette of sending bomb threats to them. Oh, my gosh. They named her a likely suspect, and Paulette didn't take it seriously because it was such an absurd claim. Right. You know, like... Where am I? What? <laughs> but one of the bomb threats had her fingerprint on it. Of course it did. And she was facing 15 years of prison, mm-hmm. pretty much. So these motherfuckers had broken into her house and stolen her stationery. Wow. I guess basically to get her fucking fingerprint and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you know, put all this on her to frame her. So the Scientologist came into court carrying huge crosses and like the symbol of Scientology is a cross. And I'll go into like the deeper meaning of it in another episode, but um that's interesting. Yeah, to me personally, I feel like people view a cross as more like, you know, like a when you see a cross, you think of like Christianity. Well, exactly. It's like kind of sacrilegious. You think of like, oh, a good Christian woman, a good mm-hmm. Christian man. And so when you see a cross, it's like less harmful. It's less like yeah. you're, you're not going to question them as much. Yeah, because it looks religious. Exactly. But it also has a some formal meeting but to me it's like it's like a disguise you mm-hmm. know what i mean so they the scientologists came into court carrying these huge crosses and wearing black clerical robes and the jury had to decide whether they were going to believe this group of just like really good just nice religious people who are just getting these bomb threats from this crazy woman crazy yeah woman who was a journalist and you know she was attacking quote unquote attacking their religion Mm -hmm. so who's the crazy one Mm -hmm. the scientologists this group who are all making these claims or this one person making these claims and the jury believed the scientologists Ah! so she was indicted on may 9th 1973 and then was arrested may 19th 1973 how heartbreaking yeah and she had been in a relationship with a man that she was planning to marry, and he ended up leaving her because she went down this huge road of depression. Like, oh, she yeah. was just not okay. Um, she said she could hardly eat. She was taking a lot of Valium. She eventually got down to 83 pounds. Poor thing. I know. So she was so depressed that she couldn't even leave her apartment. She ended up meeting a man who had just moved into her building and he like offered to walk her dogs and like, you know, just like be her friend. And, and so he was a Scientologist. So when she, um, I would trust no one. Oh, me either. Me either. But, um, you know, she was so depressed, like she couldn't work. She couldn't, she literally couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So he like offered to move in with her and like, you know, help her pay for stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, she says that, um, she agreed to it because she desperately needed somebody to be there for her like she had nobody mm-hmm. you know people were like turning their backs on her mm-hmm. um the scientologist had sent like horrible degrading letters to her adoptive parents and mm-hmm. like to other people she knew so she was like very lonely and yeah. just very depressed so there was a pool on the top of her building that the man would occasionally go up to um, someone he convinced her to go with him and um, 
on this one rare occasion that she went with him, he jumped up onto the ledge of the building and he said to her, come on, you've got to come up here. Show those bastards how strong you are and that you're not afraid of anything so that you can face the jurors. Thankfully, she was afraid of heights and refused to get up there. And I say this thankfully because five years after like all this like shit or whatever, she found out he was a Scientologist and he had been spying on her. He was a plant used to spy on her like he wrote a diary of everything she would like eat and wear and do and say and go and everything that the lawyers were saying and doing or whatever of course he was i i feel like that was a given but you know what mm-hmm. do you do when you're in such a dark dark state and you just need something somebody you know i mean but also like you wouldn't really think like yeah they're sending these hurtful letters out and there, they may have, you know, said that you've sent them a bomb th- through the mail. They sent somebody to put a gun to her head, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, but you wouldn't necessarily think that, like, a new man who just moved into the building. That was my first thought. Yeah, but living it, though, you only knew that because, like, this is the story that I'm telling about how evil they are. But back then, you know, who knows what kind of links that they would go to. Yeah, to, true. You know. true. Plus, you know, she's just so depressed, you probably can't fucking think straight when you're Mm -hmm. that depressed. So anyways, um, so he would write down, like, a diary of all the stuff and then report it back to Scientology. And Paulette said in the podcast that she wonders, like, if she had gotten onto the side. If he was going to, like, push her off. Yeah, and then blame it on suicide because she Uh, was so uh, depressed and nobody would have questioned it. Yeah. Nobody would have. And, like, in one of his diaries, you know, he would write down things like... You know, Paulette's feeling suicidal today. You know, wouldn't that be great for Scientology? So, you know, he probably... That is so terrifying. Yeah. So, this kind of fair game is still going on in Scientology to this day. This wasn't like a one-time, one-person thing. This is happening all the time everywhere to anybody who they deem is a threat to Scientology. Mm-hmm. So in the end, s- they were able to get some kind of information about Scientology that kind of helped them show that like these Scientologists were not exactly nice people. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Excuse me. They weren't like who they said that they were, pretty much. And Paulette never really mentions like what that little bit of information was Mm -hmm. um but apparently it helped them somehow okay so after this scientology just kind of kept suing paulette over numerous different things (laughs) one of them because of a book that she didn't even write oh but they claim that she helped this person write the book but (sighs) she says she didn't so in fucking total in total they sued her 19 times. Oh, my God. And she had to pay for this all by herself. Like, they were all I can't all believe these the things place. went through the courts and, like, she had to pay. Yeah. Ugh. It's crazy. So, like, four years later, the FBI did a raid on Scientology and seized a lot of their papers. And there was something in their papers called like snow white it was like some form of operation Mm. 
So in the 70s, Scientology had sent plants into a bunch of different government agencies, Mm -hmm. and they were stealing documents and planting new documents and basically just gathering, like, intelligence. Mm -hmm. It was considered the biggest, like, government infiltration, like, ever. And the Scientologists did this. Um, so eventually one of them got caught with a fake ID and the Scientologist's name was Mike Meisner. Mm-hmm. He eventually said that he didn't want to turn himself in. So Scientology legit kidnapped him, stuck a tennis ball in his mouth, mm. handcuffed him and kept him against his will. Mm. And this was done by what's <laughs> called the Guardian's Office, which is a department in Scientology specifically dedicated to destroying people. Wow. The head of the department was Hubbard's wife, Mary Sue Hubbard. Michael pretended to turn his decision around and not come forth so that, um, like, you know, Scientology would kind of, like, ease up on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once they did that, he escaped and went straight to the FBI. And this gave the FBI, like, enough concrete, you know, evidence to to raid the Scientology um, building in L.A. and Washington, D.C., and take all the files of the Guardian's office. Um, the raid disclosed a lot of information about what Scientology was doing. So there is a policy in sci- Scientology that everything has to be put in writing. So all of the operations against Paulette were in these files, Ooh. in writing. The first bomb threat that supposedly Paulette did was called Operation Dynamite. Mm. They found some papers called Operation Freakout. When they had failed to get arrested, they basically put together Operation Freakout, um, where they would get somebody posing as Paulette, like going around threatening to bomb places and sending threatening letters to people in the hopes that she would get arrested for it. Wow. Or like put into a mental institution. That that those were their two end goals with that. So Paulette was on a plane coming home from, I forget where she said she was coming from, but uh, she was reading the Washington Times where it talked about the raid and how Paulette had been framed. Um, She didn't even know anything about the raid. Like she didn't know it was happening. So when she like read this, like it said she was framed. So she felt a lot of fucking just release. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as she gets back, Mm. Scientology sues her for the Washington Post article. They sue her. Because they've been outed. Right. So, Scientology has a policy about policy never changing. And fair game is a Scientology policy, therefore it will never change. Mm -hmm. It may go by a different name, Mm -hmm. just like the Guardian's office now goes by OSA, which is Office of Special Affairs, Mm -hmm. but it will always be there. They literally, they will always do this Mm -hmm. because what L. L. Ron Hubbard says, his policies are not to be changed. You can't change them. Hmm. So... All these years later, and this is still happening. Yeah. So the last thing I have to say is Mary Sue Hubbard and, like, 11 other people 
were arrested and they pretty much pled guilty to like what they had done Mm -hmm. so um scientology made it out to seem like these were like a few rogue members acting on their own and their actions didn't represent scientology or what scientology stood for or whatever but mike render mentions in the podcast that the head the head of this organization was l ron hubbard's wife mm-hmm. like these weren't just rogue people this was like the fucking creator of scientology's fucking wife orchestrating this shit that's absolutely nuts so so yeah that's all i have for this episode um it gets crazier from here honestly. i can't wait i'm excited i can't wait to hear more it's literally just oh god and it's so i had no idea i would be so interested to be honest but like you same. are super knowledgeable about this and it's been fun i hope that leah Rimini and Mike Render here this episode. Mm-hmm. And I hope that they're like, you know what, for somebody who knows nothing about Scientology, you sure know a lot about Scientology. Good job, Thanks girl. to them. I mean, they're very like yeah, Well, of course, they experienced it firsthand. They are so passionate about it, dude. It's like and every fucking episode of the aftermath, Leah is just crying because she <laughs> empathizes so well. I love her. Dude, I I mean, like, I knew she was an actress. I knew, well, whatever. But, I mean, I never really cared for... Did you ever watch King of Queens? No, I didn't. No. no. Oh, I, I was, like, I loved that show years ago. Yeah. I've seen, like, every episode. Wow. And well, I was, in, I've never been a big TV watcher, but I just... I know, I that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Scotty... It's a great show. Scotty um, was talking about that, but yeah, I didn't really know who she was mm-hmm. until this. She's so but, cute she is and she she's very like you can tell she cares about people and so in both of them they cry with these people they're interviewing and they it's guys watch it yeah it's on netflix it's called leah remini scientology and the aftermath watch it Mm -hmm. it's really good it's very informative i really enjoyed it well hang on just a minute and we'll be back with episode two uh, take this moment to listen to a word from our sponsor. Rustic Beach. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Rustic Peach. Rustic Peach is a small business owned by self-proclaimed crunchy mom, Jessica Armstrong. They offer over 20 different items, including lip balms, body products, and luxury candles made with pure soy. All of their items are handmade in small batches by a certified aromatherapist using only sustainable and clean ingredients. All of their fragrances are free of phthalates and parabens. I have purchased tons of items from Jessica, and I seriously cannot say that I've had a single complaint. And the fact that everything is natural makes it 10 times better. I've actually got one of her candles burning right now. As you can imagine, packing your entire life and business away and moving it across the country can be insanely difficult. Let's help support Jessica at her new home base with the holidays coming. You can reach Rustic Peach by email at rusticpeachnaturals at gmail.com. She's also on Instagram at rusticpeachnaturals. And on Facebook at facebook.com slash rusticpeachga. 
Be sure to check out her website at rusticpeachga.com. Use code JUICER for 20% off your purchase at checkout. That's R-U-S-T-I-C-P-E-A-C-H-G-A.com. Again, use code JUICER for 20% off at rusticpeachga.com. So for part two, I will be discussing the case of Shayna Hubers, who murdered her on and off again boyfriend, attorney Ryan Poston. Um, I've known about this case for several years, and I want to say I learned about it first from maybe an episode of Snapped or something like mm-hmm. that, but I remember seeing seeing it on TV. This shit is bonkers. So, uh, this case doesn't sound familiar to me, but I, I may recognize it once you kind of get into the details. It is also known as the nose job murder, if that rings a bell. No? Not, well, maybe a little. I don't know. All right. So, let's get on into it. So, uh, 19-year-old psychology student Shayna Hubers and 28-year-old attorney Ryan Poston became Facebook friends in March of 2011 after Ryan Poston reached out to Miss Hubers. Uh, he had seen some, like, sexy pictures she had posted, like, in a bikini and was just oh. like, hey, girl, hey. Sounds like a man. So, <laughs> Ryan uh, was invited by Shayna to her 20th birthday party after they kind of had some communication. So their first real life meet was at that party on April 8th, 2011 at a Lexington, Kentucky bar. This began a year and a half long on and off again relationship. Uh, To say their relationship was stormy would be an understatement. They broke up several times, but they always seemed to find their way back to each other. It's been said that Hubers was obsessed with Poston, and he just had a really hard time hurting her feelings and letting her go. Yeah. So, Ryan Carter Poston was born on December 30th, 1982, in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, to Lisa Carter and Jay Poston. Poston's family was close-knit, even though his parents divorced when he was little. He was extremely uh, extremely close to his father, and when his mother remarried Peter Carter, Ryan thought of him as a second father. So oh. he had two men that were, you know, big Good. in his life. That's important. Yes, absolutely. So uh, he had three younger sisters, Allison, Catherine, and Elizabeth Carter. He attended Blessed or Blessed Sacrament School in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, the International School of Manila in the Philippines, and the International School of Geneva in Switzerland during high school. Wow. So, like, total rich kid. Yeah. He went all over the world for school, which is pretty neat. I went to Rockdale County High School. <laughs> right. So, he was a boarding school kid. So, uh, Ryan Poston later attended Indiana University, where he triple majored in history, geography, and political science. Super smart, too. Sounds like it. He went to law school at the Salmon P. Chase College of Law at Northern Kentucky University in Highland Heights, Kentucky. After he completed his law, law degree, Poston began working as an attorney in Cincinnati, Ohio. 
smart smart dude sounds like it now Shana M- michelle hubers was born on april 8th 1991 in Lex- lexington kentucky to sharon and robert hubers i don't know a whole lot about her childhood other than the fact that she was very smart she was in AP classes and made straight A's through school. Well, it scares me that she was a psychology major. Right. <laughs> like, that's very scary. She was a super, super smart girl, like even like genius level. Yeah. So uh, she was involved in music and drama and received um, countless awards throughout high school. Uh, that's all I really know about her growing up. I could not find anything. And to be honest, it doesn't really matter about her. Like, we're not going to glorify this chick any more than saying she was a very smart, smart woman. Right. Brooke showed me a few things before we started. And let me just say, like, she deserves nothing. No. And she doesn't seem smart either. No, she seemed very dumb. We will be inserting some clips and you're just going to be like this bitch. So, um, I do have some info, however, regarding her mental health. Oh, gosh. And she's a psychology major. Uh, Yeah. So, Dr. Thomas Schatt. I'm assuming that's Schatt. uh, Schacht. Schacht. Schatt. I don't know. It's S-C-H-A-C-T. So, Schacht interviewed Hubers for 37 hours over over a six-day period and talked to her parents for seven hours at their Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky home to get an idea of the conditions that she grew up in. He also reviewed Hubers' medical reports dating back to childhood. According to Schacht, Schacht, Hubers did not want to grow up had separation anxiety and slept in the same bed as her mother until she was a teenager. Yeah, very clingy girl. That's going to be Titus. Oh, gosh. Yeah, let's not. <laughs> Titus does not need to be like this chick. Oh, my God. What a fucking weirdo. Yeah. If I was her mother, I would not let that stand. Oh, her mom. She was a mommy's girl for sure. Oh, we'll I was a mommy's girl too. And guess the fuck what? Yeah. I stopped. I mean, my parents always put us in our beds, but literally me and my siblings would always, like, go to our parents' bed in the mm-hmm. middle of the night. But that stopped around, like, the age it probably should. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. So, uh, his interviews with Hubers revealed several incidences of sexual abuse, as well as an inability to have healthy relationships with men. Seems accurate. Yes. Schacht said... If you want to use classification labels to describe it, in my opinion, the best descriptors are borderline personality disorder and complex post-traumatic stress disorder. There are also secondary mental health issues, including substance abuse and sexual dysfunction. What does that mean? So he was just describing her mental health ailments. So he said she had borderline personality well, I mean, like disorder. What is sexual dysfunction? Yeah. We will find out more about that in just a little while, but she had issues with orgasming. Oh, that's so sad. Which honestly women though, that have her. been yeah. But women <laughs> that have been abused a lot of times I understand that is a thing. Oh, I didn't know that. So well yeah, I mean think about it, you know, I'm sure I can see it yeah. now that you mention it, but I never really like mm-hmm. like guessed that that would be a thing. Yeah. So Schacht also mentioned the possibilities that Hubers possibly had a mood or bipolar disorders. 
He noted bipolar disorder has a genetic component. Oh, my God. (laughs) He noted the bipolar disorder has a genetic component, and it appeared in Huber's father's psychiatric profile. Oh. So, you know, most of these diseases are genetic. Um, So sorry, guys. (sighs) On October 12th, 2012, Shana Hubers shot and killed Ryan Poston at his home. She insists to this day that she only did so to protect herself. The two were broken up on the night of the murder, and Poston had a date scheduled that he was very excited for that night with Miss Ohio 2012 Audrey Bolt. He never showed up. Hubers claimed that she did not know of the date, but showed up at Ryan Poston's apartment before he got a chance to leave, which we are assuming most likely to try to win him back yet again. So he doesn't go on that date? Nope. Never made it to the date. And that girl was beautiful. Yes. He was a very good looking man, too. He was gorgeous. After an argument, Hubers shot Poston six times, including several times in the face. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And she called the police 15 minutes later. And right now, we are going to play a little clip of Shana Huber's 911 call. Yeah. <laughs> 
So friends say that any small amount of rejection from a man would send Hubers into a spiral and that she was highly attached to Ryan Poston. He tried to break up with her several times, telling friends that she was crazy and too attached. Well, I mean, just from that 911 call, she's definitely a crazy bitch. Uh, yeah. You can tell. Well, when the first thing you say is, I shot my boyfriend in self-defense. And yeah. then um, he was twitching on the ground, so I fucking shot him like five him more off. times so that he wouldn't suffer. Whatever. Like, no, bitch, you call 911 and be like, hey, I just shot my boyfriend because he was attacking me. Come save me. him. Yeah. like yeah, That's it, overkill. It, yeah. Now there's a lot of anger in that. It, it was intentional. It was definitely like mm-hmm. she wanted to kill him for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. If I can't have you, nobody can. Exactly. Um, so Ryan Poston had tried to break up with her several times and he would tell friends that she was, uh, I'm sorry, did I already say this? That she was crazy and too attached. Um, both of them would text friends about the turbulence in their relationship with Poston indicating a desire to leave, but feeling trapped because of Huber's high emotions. Oh no, that's so sad. Yeah. He just felt like he couldn't leave because she was just a crazy woman. What do you, you know? do in that kind of situation? Yeah. You just stay because you're scared. Uh, you what's know? the healthy and, thing and, and, to do? And that's the sad thing. I think he was trapped because he was in, you know, I think it was abusive on both ends. Mm-hmm. But it, he was being abused as yeah. well, you know, and that's not something that we talk a lot about, you know, with men. Yeah. But, you know, women he, can abuse their boyfriends. Absolutely. It's, and I think it's more overlooked with women because, mm-hmm. you know, you see those Facebook posts that are like, you mm-hmm. know, when you hit your boyfriend, it's not fucking cute. Yeah. It is abuse. Mm-hmm. Like, don't hit your boyfriend. Don't hit your husband. Exactly. For any reason. Mm-hmm. So Huber's told friends and later attorneys um, that Poston would tell her that she needed breast implants, that she needed to lose weight, and would try to pressure her into three-way sex, which broke her self-esteem. Yeah, I'm sure. So it's pretty clear that while each of them perceived their relationship in very different ways, it was super unhealthy no matter how you looked at it. Very toxic on both ends. Absolutely. I would say very abusive on both ends, mentally, physically, you know, all of it. Oh, I would wish some dude would tell me to fucking get... Breast implants. Or to lose weight. Yeah. I I wouldn't hit them or kill them, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would definitely be very devastated. Yeah. So Hubers and Poston both texted friends about their relationship issues. Shayna admitted in a text to a friend, and I quote, he says he's only with me because I make him feel so awful about it when I cry. It's like she was proud of it, you know? Seems like it. While Ryan texted his cousin, quote, and this is getting to be restraining order level crazy. She's shown up at my condo like three times and refuses to leave each time. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. What? A, ooh, okay. A little off topic, but I was watching a TikTok the other day of literally this guy filming his crazy fucking girlfriend. Mm-hmm. She like showed up to his house like with a pregnancy test that she like drew on to make it look like it was a positive test and he's like bitch you fucking drew on this and she's like screaming like no it's i'm pregnant blah 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 and just like refusing to leave his his house like dude women can be fucking Bitches crazy be crazy they can't be. be crazy <clears throat> so um he also complained about Shayna's obsessive behavior in a facebook message 
And this is another quote from him. Literally probably the craziest fucking person I have ever met. She almost scares me. Wow. Another text to a friend from Shana read. This is awful. Wait, you said this was another text? This is a, a Shana text. Okay. So, when I go to the shooting range with Ryan tonight, I want to turn around and shoot him and kill him and play like it's an accident. Which is ultimately what she ends up doing. This bitch says this. So, uh, Poston uh, was a gun enthusiast. In his apartment, he had an uh, artillery um, vest hung next to his ties, and bullets shared a cabinet with board games. So, just gun kind of stuff everywhere. Those go hand in hand. Well, you know. I mean, he was just super into guns. Yeah. Which is cool. Um, His ex-girlfriend, Lauren Worley, told 2020 he always had them. He would have one in his boot. He would have them in his holster. So he was just a big gun guy. That was just kind of his hobby. So the evening of October 12th, 2012, Highland Heights police took Hubers to the station after she called 911 about shooting Poston. In the interview room, Hubers asked for an attorney. After her rights were read, Hubers continued talking to police anyway about what happened when she shot Poston. And for almost three hours, this bitch didn't shut up. (laughs) You said you want an attorney. And then you just talk about it anyway. She just couldn't keep her mouth shut. It's like she was proud. She was proud. So police had to take turns sitting in with her because she was just so fucking obnoxious. And I felt like... In the clips that you're going to play, mm-hmm. it's like she just keeps repeating shit. And she just like, mm-hmm. like a simple sentence mm-hmm. just became like a whole babble yeah. of just bullshit. Um, so in these clips, you will hear about how she told anyone who would listen about an alleged history of abuse by Ryan, along with a ton of other bizarre things. Um, She described Poston as very vain and that by shooting him, she gave him the nose job he always wanted. Terrible. That is awful. Like, why would you say that? First of all, that's not the nose job he fucking wanted. Exactly. You just annihilated his nose off of his face. She also says, and we'll let you hear this little clip, too, from this lunatic. I don't know if anyone will ever want to marry me if they know I killed a boyfriend in self-defense. Yeah, I would assume probably not. Yeah. Why are you thinking like that right now? Right. I would be devastated. Holy shit. If I, I just, just killed my boyfriend in self-defense. I kill my boyfriend. Like, yeah. Yeah, no. You and don't talk about that, future boyfriends. No. And it's just, you know, in the 911 call when she says, I just killed my boyfriend in self-defense. It's like she just had it all set up. Like, yeah, yeah this is going to be self-defense. So um, she also dances around the room and sings Amazing Grace. She said out loud to herself, I did it. Yes, I did it. I can't believe I did that. And she says, I'm so good at acting. Let's take a listen. If you go to jail, are you allowed to keep your phone? Are you showering? Or do you just get really dirty? I have to shower in front of people. Oh, oh my God! I don't know if anyone will ever want to marry me if they know that I killed a boyfriend in self <laughs> Not funny. I did. Yes, I did. I can't believe it. 
I gave him the nose job he always wanted. Sounds like self-defense, right? Dude, okay. She fucking stood in a fucking corner 
mm-hmm. just humming and singing Amazing Grace. Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You just fucking killed your boyfriend mm-hmm. and you're singing Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm. And you are fucking going around the room talking about, yep, I did it. Mm-hmm. Like, bitch, yeah, that, yeah that's not a good it. thing. Mm-hmm. It's not a good thing to just fucking kill somebody. Ugh. She really is. You can tell just by the way she speaks that she's crazy. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, Shana Hubers was ultimately arrested for murder and held on a $5 million bond. Good. Shana Hubers was indicted for the murder of Ryan Poston on December 20th, 2012. On January 16th, 2013, she entered a plea deal of not guilty due to the murder uh, or not guilty to the murder charges. Two and a half years after the murder, Huber's trial began on April 13th, 2015. Now, I do want to mention that there was a trial before this, mm-hmm. but that trial was ultimately thrown out when it was found out that one of the jurors was a felon, which is against the law in the oh, state gosh. of Kentucky. I wonder how that happened. So, I don't know. I don't know how that happened. But, uh, yeah, they did go through a trial, and then they had to do it all over again. Right. So, uh Shana remained at the Campbell County, uh, Kentucky jail um, since her arrest, unable to meet her bail. This is a little bit off topic, but how do you feel about felons not being able to vote? I don't know why it really matters, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like, really? I mean, I guess it's just like this is something we're going to deny you because you did something bad in society. But I think I don't know. It doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. I'm undecided because I can see how, like, being a felon, how you can kind of, like, lose rights to certain things. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like voting is kind of, like, jury duty is one thing. Yeah. Because that's, like. Yeah, because you're a felon. Right. (laughs) You're going to have a swayed opinion on things. Exactly. But, like, voting. Uh, Yeah, I don't really Like, you're voting for, like, technically for two different people who are trying to better the country and Mm -hmm. take lead of the country i feel like Mm -hmm. voting it's it's a different thing Mm -hmm. being a juror is one thing like yeah if you're a felon you probably shouldn't be on jury duty but voting is so different because like even as a felon that still does affect your life i feel like that's kind of like a basic right it's almost Uh, like you're a felon so you're never gonna drive again type thing you know what i mean yeah i don't know it doesn't really make sense to me but i guess i think it's weird yeah Yeah. i think they should be allowed to vote yeah So, uh, prosecutors say that Hubers killed Poston because he was leaving her. Hubers took the stand and claimed that Poston pressured her to perform sex acts and was abusive. She said that her inability to orgasm with Poston was an ongoing problem in the relationship and that she went to great lengths to please him sexually. At one point, she even got a G-spot shot in hopes that it would help her orgasm, her, attor- her attorney claimed. What the heck? I had no idea that was a thing. Me either. So Huber said that Poston asked about her sexual history in order to try to understand the problem. This was at the beginning, like, what's going on, girl? Mm-hmm. Like, you know. Um, and she told him that she was molested as a child and as a teen on multiple occasions. Um, she said that Poston thought talking about her history of abuse might help her to yeah. be able to orgasm. Um, But then she said that he was callous when speaking to her about the abuse. And in 2012, they had a sexual encounter that went wrong. 
she said. Hmm. She refused his request for a specific sexual act, and everything changed after that, she said. She claimed that he was into aggressive and kinky sex. And she said it felt degrading. I didn't know if I trusted him. I feared him. Yeah, I mean, that's not everybody's cup of tea. Right. But I I will say, though, like, I never understood the, like, waiting for that one person that you're going to marry to have sex with them. Because, Mm -hmm. like, what if you guys click in all areas except for, like, in your sex life? Yeah, like, you have a certain style you like and they, you know, are complete polar opposite. And you're like, oh, no. And, like, you can't get behind what they want to do sexually. Like, I feel like it's important to, like. I think so, too. When you meet somebody and you plan to have sex with them to narrow in, like, like, what your sex life is going to be like because Mm -hmm. like sex is important in a relationship whether you want it to be or not it is it sounds like she just really just wanted to please 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 and she would do anything he wanted like i didn't put this in my notes but uh there was an interview with a friend of hers and the friend said like she would go to his apartment when he was at work and she would walk his dogs and she would cook his dinner and she would do his laundry and she was just she just was always like just begging mm-hmm. for him to love her you yeah. know you so, guys don't also just don't do that yeah. like if you have to beg somebody to love you mm-hmm. then it's not authentic it's not genuine mm-hmm. find somebody who willingly loves you yeah so um, after the comment where she said, you know, she felt like it was degrading, didn't trust him, she feared him, uh, Campbell County Circuit Court Judge Dan Zala uh, called for a recess. Her testimony came after the pro- prosecution rested its case. Shana said, he also didn't want to have sex because I couldn't orgasm. She she said that he said he just didn't see the point, that it was like annoying to him at that point. That's weird because I feel like most men don't give a fuck if you orgasm. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, but uh, I mean, not all men, but I've been with men who don't give a fuck. They're, I could see that that they, would be a frustrating point, you know, in a relationship. You know, why can't you orgasm with me? Like, why? You know? Yeah, I mean, I guess it could feel like, but I feel like, like there's something sh- wrong with you, and yeah. not necessarily like a deeper issue. As, as vain as he was, he's probably like, what? Like what? You know, like what's wrong with crazy. me? Yeah, but then probably blamed it on her. Like, exactly. what's wrong with you? I'm sure that would be a hard thing in a relationship if yeah. it was important to the man. Yeah, you know. Um, she also went into details about text messages that the pair exchanged, describing sexual activities, and even a deal the couple struck in order to bring another woman into their bed. Now, listen to this. The conditions of this deal were that she would talk 25% less. <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> listening to these clips, you can probably see why that was she part of the deal. He probably hated hearing her. Like, shut up. <laughs> And that he would put 10 photos of her back on his Facebook profile and that he would show more affection and communicate more. If she stopped stop talking so much less. Oh my and God. let him bring another woman into the bedroom. I feel like that is more for him than it is for her. Well, I, I could see why that would be very important to her to have those pictures back on his Facebook. I mean, you know? I totally get that. Yeah. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. But like. <laughs> Just the 25% less. And like it's, like it's that number. <laughs> you need to talk 25, like approximately 25% less. <laughs> and there needs to be another woman in the bed. And in return, I will post 10, Ten pictures photos. of you on my Facebook. <laughs> like Great fucking deal. <laughs> uh, yeah. It sounded like he got it good. She was like, you got it, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Agreed. Mm-hmm. 
So on the stand, Hubers also admitted that both of them had been physically violent with each other and that she also lied to Poston about other men that she was seeing. Oh, okay. She added that trust and fidelity were issues on both sides of the relationship and said, obviously, there had been a lot of times. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, this is someone else asked her during cross-examination. Obviously, there had been a lot of times that you were going behind each other's backs. And she replied, yes, we had a lot of arguments about that. That's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. Like, why are you even together? Exactly. If you can't be faithful to each other. Yuck. Why be together? Mm-hmm. What's the point? Mm-hmm. Hubers also testified that she feared Poston from the first time they met, which was on her birthday at that bar. She said that he grabbed her hand with a strong grip and walked ahead, pulling her by the hand to a second bar after the party, basically forcing her to leave the bar. Uh, when they were seating at the, or s- seated at the bar, Huber said that Poston reached underneath the table and grabbed her bare thigh. And it scared her. She mm-hmm. said that she went to the bathroom and called a cab to get away. But she later started a relationship with him, so... Yeah. Um, Hubers later recounted times that they were drunk and had extremely rough sex. At one point in spring of 2012, Huber said Poston grabbed her and threw her out of the condo and onto the porch. When she tried to get back inside, Huber said Poston repeatedly slammed the door on her body as she was in the doorway. He threw her keys and purse at her, she said. Now, if they had a volatile relationship like this, I can believe this. But coming out of her mouth, it's kind of not. It's like, mm, did that happen or did it not? It, you take it with a grain of salt because, I mean, like, yeah, I she mean, just killed him based so. on that 911 call. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just can't get over that. Mm-hmm. I can't get over it. Like, first of all, it's the whole 911 call is a blatant lie because she's like, you know, I killed him at the doorway. Mm-hmm. Like, I shot him, and then he, you know, was dying on the floor and twitching and moaning, so I shot him again. Mm-hmm. And then he was still twitching and moaning, so I shot him where mm-hmm. I know he'd be dead mm-hmm. because he was dying anyways. Mm-hmm. But then in the crime scene photos, He's he was at, at the, the table, table. Yeah. sitting. So she, she's, the whole thing was a lie. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we'll find out more about these crazy lies, she says. So, again, yeah, take that with a grain of salt, yeah. you know. So, uh. The the defense argued that Poston was prone to violence and that a prescribed combination of Adderall and Xanax could cause aggression and paranoia. Now, he was prescribed these things. So, but that is a bad combination, an upper and a downer. Why would they do that? Basically, he said, and, and this was a message to a friend, another I did not another thing I didn't put in my notes, but basically he was so stressed out just with work. He also had a pending lawsuit um, against a partner. Mm-hmm. But he said, I'm taking Adderall in the mornings to get up and I'm taking Xanax at night to fall asleep. Yeah. Like his life was just so stressful, you know. Well, th- that's a pretty good distance between the two. So, I mean, yeah. it probably didn't affect him. And then on top of that, having her as a girlfriend yeah oh my god i cannot imagine being a lawyer number one just sounds like the most stressful job in the entire world Mm -hmm. and then having a crazy ass fucking girlfriend Mm -hmm. Uh -uh, that's just like a combination of just a horrible shit to go wrong yep so the defense um introduced some facebook posts that ryan had made about that pending lawsuit against his uh legal partner and this is what he said in the facebook post so now everyone wants me to settle i want to rig explosives to everything i see 
there's nothing I want more than just to scorch and then it says expletive the earth and leave this entire city in a pile of burnt rubble if necessary oh my god you know and and the defense can make that sound like he was just an aggressive mean person Mm -hmm. but i think he was just so completely stressed out he's like i just burn everything i see fuck everything you know what i mean i mean i've said shit like that before like that doesn't mean that you're an aggressive and horrible person everybody says shit that they don't mean exactly everybody i mean yeah you're so i can only imagine how much was going on in his head Mm -hmm. that yeah you're just like fuck everything i just want everything to burn you know i've probably said that oh i know that doesn't mean i'm abusive you know what i mean right it doesn't mean you're you're like also going to do something yeah. either just like in those times of really hard stress and hardships you're like yeah that that is what your mind goes to like i just want to make it stop and yeah. like here are different ways that i could make it stop that doesn't mean you're gonna do it exactly exactly but you know mm-hmm. poor guy so prosecutors went through lengthy sets of text messages between hubers and poston and their friends to show that he was not abusive they claimed Huber shot Poston because he was trying to end the relationship for good and Shayna was not having it. Now, the one thing that both sides could agree on was that this relationship was extremely flawed, as oh, yeah. we can see. It sounds very volatile. It sounds like a roller coaster. I haven't heard anything good about the relationship yet. No, it literally just sounds like something Chaotic. I want to avoid at all costs. Yeah. So, defense attorney David Eldridge asked asked Judge Daniel Zala to consider Huber's being a low risk to commit more crimes once she was paroled. Eldridge asked for a minimum sentence of 20 years. He did not mention abuse as a reason for a minimum sentence. Huber's took responsibility by calling uh, by calling 911 and talking to the police, Eldridge said. No. No. Not really. She didn't take responsibility. She made it seem less than what it was. Right. He described his client's police interrogation as the ramblings of a mentally ill young girl. That's what it sounds like. That's what we know. Also, I wonder if he would have survived if he would have defended himself or gotten a lawyer. What do you think? Uh, Like, uh, against her? Yeah. Like, if he would have survived and was like, you know. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, you know, she shot me, and mm-hmm. then they're, in, you know, going to court because of that. I wonder if he would have defended himself or gotten a lawyer. Right. Well, she was going to make sure he wasn't around anymore, so. Right. Um, he also said that Hubers, who was 21 when she shot Poston, had changed. He said that Hubers was a good candidate for successful treatment for her borderline personality uh, disorder diagnosis diagnosis now we have spoken about borderline personality disorder several times in these podcasts because this seems to be a trend with murderers mm-hmm. um but i just kind of want to touch on what bpd exactly is um just kind of a short you know briefing on what it's characterized by so basically people with borderline personality disorder are characterized by unstable moods behavior and relationships um, just the littlest things, uh, especially personal relationships, things yeah. can set them off. And very clearly, um, she did have this right. disorder. And just because you have BPD doesn't make you a murderer. And it also does not give you an excuse to right. murder people. We've ha- actually had people reach out to us thanking us for mm-hmm. talking about how, you know, like, 
mm-hmm. just about this in general how bpd doesn't make you a murderer mm-hmm. and that they're you know thankful that we mm-hmm. shed some light on this because literally mm-hmm. it seems like most every murderer that we cover is diagnosed with bpd it's crazy yeah yeah that seems to be the diagnosis and just like if you guys have listened to our episode where i covered the scream murder of cassie joe yeah um you know we talk about how you know they say that they were influenced by the the movie scream Mm -hmm. or the scream franchise but how horror movies and violent video games doesn't Mm -hmm. make you want to kill but if you're already like predisposed to doing that kind of thing how you can take influence from it right i think the same can be said for bpd (coughs) like you can have bpd and live like a relatively normal life absolutely but if you're already kind of pre you know you're kind of predetermined in your genetics Mm -hmm. and in your brain wiring and whatnot to murder somebody or to be Mm -hmm. a violent person that you can't like just that you can't do it yeah well the thing with bpd is they are prone to explosive um bouts of you know, just expo- yeah. they kind of explode, you know, when they are um, triggered. So uh, I, I don't know. It almost makes me wonder, like, do these people have BPD or are these, you know, defense attorneys just saying that to, uh, you know, give an excuse for the things that they do? I don't know. I feel like that wouldn't be something that they could lie about. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure they do have extensive psychiatric tests mm-hmm. done and that kind of thing. Yeah. So who knows? But uh, Dr. Thomas Schacht, I'm going to say Schacht, who I spoke about at the beginning of the story, testified that Hubers was probably exhibiting signs of BPD and complex PTSD when she shot Poston. When prosecutors asked if Hubers probably knew what she was doing when she shot Poston, Shat said yes. Mm-hmm. He said, there is no insanity defense, not a chance. Schacht said that he thinks some of Huber's behaviors, including an unwillingness to leave an abusive relationship and her frantic efforts to avoid abandonment, also match um, a BPD diagnosis, which right. is absolutely true. Yeah. Um, Highland Heights detective turned police chief Bill Birkenhauer testified that Hubers logged onto Poston's Facebook account and would block women. He also said that if Poston was trying to break up or move on, she would send him 100 messages to his one response. Oh, my God. Yeah, she was very obsessive. Uh, And he said that many times Ryan Poston would just turn his phone off. And he also said that all in all, I would put the number of individual messages at pretty much you can't count them. I would say between 50,000 and 100,000 messages. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The chief told prosecutors that Poston's phone messages to others described what Hubers did when they broke up. And he would say she dresses up looking pretty and she just shows up. Um, She doesn't leave. You know, that's crazy to me. Just showing up at, you know, your boy, your ex-boyfriend's house that just broke up with you. Like anytime I've ever been broken up with, it's like I avoid them. Right. Because she was just so upset. She couldn't let him go. She just couldn't. So weird. Um Birkenhauer said that Poston wrote that he ended up taking her back because he, quote, felt bad. You know, he couldn't. It it was so toxic. She couldn't, 
you know, let him go because she was obsessed with him and he wouldn't let her go because he felt bad for her. Sounds like she knew how to manipulate him. and, And I think that exact situation happens in a lot of relationships oh for you oh know? for sure it so, does sadly uh birkenhauer described a series of harassing text messages that poston received from a phone number that wasn't in his contacts the phone number was however in huber's phone contacts as that of a female friend she lived with hmm. and this is one of the one of the text messages lose the beer gut and get better at your job to to Ryan Poston. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. That was one of the messages read by uh, Birkenhauer. Lose the beer gut? Yep. This was Shayna from her friend's phone. He didn't look like he had a beer gut. No, he didn't. He looked pretty fit. Yeah. The messages continued with insults about his ability to do his job as a lawyer. Another text said, small dick, bad lay. Imagine, like, not being a lawyer and acting like you know how a lawyer's supposed to be. do his job yeah. right. exactly she was just harassing the shit out of him yeah uh and then another one said you're just a horrible attorney so if she wasn't going to get through to him because he blocked her she was going to find a way birkenhauer said a text message found in huber's phone including included screenshots of the beer gut texts and she said i texted ryan from my friend's phone check it out yeah Wow. She didn't even hide this shit well. Dude, if one of my friends asked me if they could use my phone to, like, send... Harass. Yeah, yeah. their ex-boyfriend, I would say no. Exactly. Like, you're not doing that on my phone. What the fuck? Her friends had to know she was nuts. Like... Yeah. They could have been scared of her. <sighs> mm-hmm. So, as I said earlier, she would routinely hack Poston's Facebook, and she would block women that Poston was messaging. Um, the woman that Ryan intended on going out with the night of his death... Audrey Bolt also testified in court. Now, Audrey Bolt was Miss Ohio 2012, which I think I said earlier, but she was a gorgeous, gorgeous she woman. She was beautiful. And he was stoked, and she was stoked, and yeah, so uh, Audrey Bolt said that she and Poston were supposed to meet at a bar at 9.30 that evening, and that she was looking forward to it, but Poston never showed up. Hubers knew that Poston was supposed to meet her that night, according to Birkenhauer. See, Shana said she didn't know of course she did but listen to this birkenhauer said that hubers friended bolt on facebook two days after uh poston became friends with her Hmm. mega creepy mega mega so like she would see who he became friends with and she would send him a friend request oh that is so weird that is stalker level shit that is so weird so while bolt was on the stand hubers never once looked at her she refused and even appeared to shudder at one point. Hmm. Yeah. During cross-examination from defense attorney Zach Walden, Bolt said that she never even knew Shana Huber's existed prior to Ryan Poston's death. So, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bergenhauer testified that what Huber's told Poston she was doing didn't match up with what investigators found that she was actually doing on multiple occasions. I mean, we're not investigators and we can already see that. Yeah. She was a straight up pathological liar as well. Why she was not diagnosed with that, I don't know. And not even a good pathological liar. Stupid shit. He knew she was lying. Oh my god. So on October 12, 2012, the same day that Ryan Poston was found shot, Hubers texted Poston about her health. 
Shayna Hubers wrote text messages to her boyfriend saying that she woke up in the middle of the night with chest pains because of his treatment of her and that her mother had driven up from Lexington to take her to the hospital. She said that she was triaged and underwent an EKG at the hospital. She wrote that she was going to see a specialist and describe the types of medicine that she was being prescribed. Hubers did meet her mother for a meal that day um, at Bob Evans. But they didn't go to the hospital? And then they went shopping at Dillard's, but there was no hospital. What a lying sack of shit. Just trying to make him feel bad. What? And that's trying like to a pretty extensive lie. Manipulation. Oh my God. So, uh, so at the t- same time, she's with her mom. She's searching on her phone um, for symptoms of hypertension and what medications were prescribed for left ventri- uh, ventricular ventricular hypertrophy. Hypertrophy. A thickening of the heart muscle. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. What a crazy bitch. Mm-hmm. Birkenhauer said she did not go to the doctor or hospital. Another bizarre lie that was spoken about in court was that Shayna had texted Ryan days before his murder, telling him that she had an aunt in Hawaii who was on her deathbed and that this aunt was leaving $2 million to Shayna alone. Okay. Why would you say that? I guess like, I have money now. Ooh, get back with me. But (laughs) that wasn't true. And her aunt was perfectly healthy. I'd be pissed if I was her aunt. Yeah. I'd be like, bitch, what? I'm leaving you shit when I do die. Right. (laughs) So, uh, um, unfortunately for Shayna, Poston's apartment did not appear as if there could have been any kind of struggle that night. And uh, I will post some of the crime scene photos, and it's very evident there there was nothing. Shocker. Bullets were still lined up on a bookshelf. Um, they were standing completely straight up. All the furniture was intact. The televisions were still on their stands. And she was supposedly thrown into the couch. You mm-hmm. know that there would have been a shift in the couch. Uh-huh. I fucking stubbed my toe on the couch and it moved. So <laughs> right. I mean, imagine being thrown into it. Mm-hmm. All of the TVs were covered with dust. So it's not like she was being thrown around the room. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, Birkenhauer said that it was obvious that nobody had even brushed against the TV because there would have been streaks um, in the dust on the screen right. or on the sides. Yeah. And, you know, and he's a dude. He's not going to be the best house cleaner. You know what I mean? He's right. a bachelor. So, <laughs> you know, the, there would be signs of a struggle. Yeah, of it course. It would be very evident. Oh, yeah. Especially the way she describes it. Oh, uh, yeah. Like yeah. she was just being thrown all over the place. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> So a forensic uh, expert testified that the first bullet to strike Ryan Poston went through his forehead and that he would not have been able to get up afterward. Like he wouldn't have been twitching and moaning and shit? Well, he probably would have been, but he wouldn't have been able to fight back. Right. So uh, Birkenhauer said that Poston was seated at the table with his legs crossed under it when he was shot. Which indicates, like, being calm. He's sitting there, like, they're probably having, like, a verbal battle, but he's just like, Shayna, like, get out, like, you know? And she just blows him away, like, what? Or it may not have even been like that. Like, she literally could have, like... walked in and just... Like, yeah, like, like she already decided, like, I'm going to fucking kill him. And then mm-hmm. gone over there, they could have just been talking about, like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to come this day to get my mm-hmm. stuff. Or, like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then she just or randomly could have just been like, him. look, I have a date tonight. And, you know, maybe that just set her off. And she grabbed whatever gun she found. And yeah. Who knows? We'll never know. So uh, Howard Ryan, who was a a crime scene forensics expert called by the prosecution, said that Shayna had the gun, so she had the power. And he said she could have held that gun and moved to the exit. 
not only did she not you not use the exit, she advanced. Yeah, you know, if he was coming at her and you have a gun in your hand, you'd had every advantage there. And he wasn't coming at you; he was sitting down. Yep, you dumb hoe. So uh, the jury took five hours to convict Hubers on a murder charge after a two-week trial. Well, I'm surprised it took five hours. I know, right? It's pretty obvious. Yeah. Life in prison is the sentence Judge Zala delivered to Hubers, and she'll be up for parole in 2032. She should not be able to get parole. That's only 20 years from the time of the crime, and she's already served a lot. Yeah. Uh, That's scary. Wow. Judge Zala said that he saw no reason to alter the jury's life sentence recommendation, and he said to Hubers, your actions that evening were grossly violent and intentionally calculated to cause his death. Huber showed no emotion during sentencing or as she was escorted away. So uh, I'll have another little tidbit that I found rather interesting. But uh, Huber's married Unique Taylor, who was a transgender woman that she met in jail. Uh, Unique Taylor was previously known as Richard McBee. And she married her in a two-minute jailhouse ceremony on June 7th, 2018 in Campbell County. Unique Taylor was being held on robbery charges at the time of their meeting. She had a long rap sheet as well. This union did not last long. Shana filed for divorce only seven months into their marriage. I wonder why. She's an idiot. (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? Weird. So, yeah. And that is the story of Ryan Poston and Shana Hubers. I hate that. I hate it, too. He he did not deserve that. No, he didn't. Even if he was abusive to her, she was obviously very abusive to him. Just... Yeah, it just sounds like it was just... They needed to break up. They did, yeah. She wouldn't let it go. Yeah. She wouldn't let it go. So, uh... Insane. I hate that. Mm -hmm. I I hadn't heard of that case, so that was all news to me. Good. Good job. Good job. Thanks. You did a great job, too. I enjoyed this episode. Thank you. I did, too. I Mm -hmm. think it was a really good episode. Mm -hmm. You guys let us know what you think. Mm -hmm. Um, Any other news or anything we need to discuss besides social medias? I don't think so. Now, I know sometimes it's kind of annoying to listen to ads. You know, you kind of want to skip over them. But I do want to add something in about, you know, our ad we're running right now. Um, Currently, we are doing an ad for Rustic Peach. Um, You guys listen to the ad. And uh, listen, if you're into candles, you know, bath products, lip balms, that kind of thing, um, check out Jessica. And uh, she's also running a promotion for our juicers. Um, If you order from her, put in code juicer in the checkout box and you will get 20% off your total order. That's huge. Yeah. So, and her shit is bomb. Just it saying. Is. Brooke always has them lit Candles around here and they, they smell really good. So please, um, if you didn't listen to our ad, I just wanted to throw that in there real quick. So I know sometimes, you know, like even I will skip over ads. So I do too. But so, like, but uh, yeah, check her out. It's rusticpeachga.com and code is juicer. Do it. All right. <laughs> Okay, well, you guys, join our Facebook group. There's a lot of cool stuff happening in there. Um, It's called, For God's Sake, Don't Drink the Jones Juice. You can follow our Instagram. You guys, please follow our Instagram. Like, we have, like, over 1,400 members on Facebook and, like... 400. Like, a little over 400 on our Instagram. But Mm -hmm. it's at Don't Drink the Jones Juice. 
um, follow our TikTok at Don't Drink the Jones Juice. Um, buy our merch at storefrontier.com slash don't drink the Jones Juice. Um, is there anything else? I think that's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You guys do that. And we'd love to interact with you guys and get to know you guys a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I do send screenshots to Brooke occasionally mm-hmm. about things that are posted in the group. So she is also seeing them, even though she is not currently on Facebook. I so. do, however, <clears throat> mostly run the Instagram and TikTok. So. Yes, yeah, I hardly ever do anything on Instagram. So Check those out for sure. Yeah. Until next time, guys, for God's sake. Don't drink the Jones juice.